the very first interview I did for the Insight to Action podcast, I spoke with Irvin Laszlo, Professor Irvin Laszlo, who is the global leader in the awakening of humanity, the expansion of, of consciousness, human consciousness, which is really another word for it could be the mindset, which and certainly in the business world is better better understood. There's a huge opportunity for business to step up to a better stance of leadership, but it can't happen unless the consciousness shifts. And of course, the results of Brexit and the election of Donald Trump and the follow-up steps that companies like Exxon are taking to Kina, small agencies that have typically provided the check and balance for traditional thinkers. Tell us that we've got to act more quickly. We've got to pay attention. In this conversation, I'm speaking not just with Irvin Laszlo, but I'm also speaking with Chris Laszlo, his son. So I hope you enjoy it. My name is Donna Jones, and I'm your host program. Uh, the middle of summer in July of 2016, the Tri-Center Conference took place in Lucca, Italy to, to talk about the new paradigm in business and leadership. With me today is Chris Laszlo, the Char Chuck Fowler Professor of Businesses and Agents of World Benefit, and the Executive Director of the Fowler Center as well, and also Irvin Laszlo, who is the founder of the Club of Budapest and heads up the Institute of New Paradigm Research. So we're here to talk about what happened in Italy in the middle of the summer and why it's important to business right now. Welcome to the program, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start. Why these conversations and why now? The goal was to invite a a multidisciplinary group of leaders to learn from each other about how we want to create a world that works for 100% of humanity and all life on earth. That was the noble goal of this event. It was uh, sponsored by three centers, the Laszlo Institute for New Paradigm Research in Bani di Luca, which was the host organization. That's my father's organization. And then the Fowler Center for Business Destination and World Benefit at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. And then finally, the ITEA Institute, which is a family business institute uh, that is based in Shanghai, China, and is closely linked to efforts to increase uh, well-being and new consciousness, what we will call new consciousness in business worldwide. So these three organizations got together with uh, this design of bringing together, when I say multidisciplinary, it was primarily from four disciplines. It was from the uh, biological and physical sciences was one domain. Uh, Consciousness research was another domain. The um, business management was a a third domain. And then medicine, health, and well-being was a fourth domain. I think the idea was that there are Uh, pretty uh, disruptive changes in how each of those domains apprehends uh, the nature of reality and that uh, all four areas are moving in the direction of seeing reality as more profoundly interconnected and um, uh, conscious and and, um, coherence producing, if we could uh, put it that way. Yeah, more unified look, really. More, more unified, a more unified view of, of the world, a more unitary view of the world. We, we, we were about 40 individuals 
who uh, met for three days together in a more retreat format. And then on the fourth day, there was a summit where we shared the findings of the retreat with a larger and more public group. And so this, this, uh, this design was really a way to deepen our collective understanding of what is reality, what is consciousness, and what lies at the core of health and well-being, uh, in some ways, all of that with the objective of understanding how we can strengthen business as an agent of world benefit. So what, what is it about the new sciences? What is it about consciousness research? What is it about what we know about the roots of well-being that can help us uh, influence the world of business so that business, the purpose of business becomes agency for world benefit rather than the uh, paradigm that has existed in, in business in the past. So I'll stop here. And um, Dad, would you, do you want to add to that at this stage? Well, I just want to add that the reason that why I think I and the Institute uh, got involved in this from the very beginning even though we are not a, a management or, or a business uh, organization, but a science research organization, is because the new paradigm that we are working on has applications to the real world, which is not directly our business, but our business is to bring this paradigm, as Christopher was saying, uh, spell it out sufficiently so that business people can do themselves the job of figuring out how to make use of it. What this paradigm does is give a substance, verifiable, confirmable substance to intuitions and ideas that are already surfacing at the the leading edge of civil society and also, I think, in the mind of of more insightful and open business people, which uh, Chris has just been talking about, like uh, the connectedness, the oneness uh, uh, of... uh, or elements of the world, not only the world that we have created, but the world as a whole. So the reason we want to get involved is because we need to promote, I think, in our collective best interest, more collaborative, more uh, more open and uh, community-oriented uh, mindset and goal-setting in business we could go to some lengths, if you like, and in, in, in my next uh, intervention, my next uh, time I'll talk, first, I'll talk about some, something that the problems are. I just want to say now that uh, business is a very important, perhaps the major factor in creating uh, or making those choices that could lead either to a better future or to a, a very poor, uh, probably collapsing kind of a future. And that uh, for that factor to operate it has to change its mind, as it were. The mindset or consciousness change or paradigm change or whatever uh, word we use, but there needs to be a a change at the very roots of the way business operates. And that calls not just for figuring out some better practices to face this or that problem, but that calls for rethinking the very nature of business, the goals of business, and that kind of rethinking is that we have been trying to promote in this event with business people from Europe and North America and China. 
Thank you. What kinds of problems does consciousness solve? Because I know when you step in, put out the word consciousness in business, they think, oh, it's impractical and it's theoretical and it's got nothing to do with my day-to-day routine. Couldn't be further from the truth. We know that because there's a huge gap in perception between surviving as a business and achieving the accomplishment of being business as an agent of world benefit. So what what does consciousness do that creates, you know, inside that worldview, inside our more unified worldview that that we we need now. Yeah, if you think of consciousness as just a phenomenon of, of brain activity, so the result of firing of neurons and axons, that reinforces a view of human beings as separate and isolated, what the existentialists call the bounded being. When you start to see consciousness as a property of all life on earth, and and perhaps a property of the universe itself, that connects and unites us, not just metaphorically, but that there's a science-based view that says we are literally connected, both, you know, energy and information in a physicalist way and consciousness in a in a spirit way we are connected that changes how we end up thinking about ourselves so that experiencing the world that way leads people or or that's at least a hypothesis that it leads people to be more empathetic and more compassionate to seeing themselves as one with the world so that there's a shift from ego you know what what um donna you have talked about before as being more ego-based views of integral consciousness to the more shared we vision of the unified consciousness that my father has has spoken about in his many books. And so, and finally, I think that this new shift in consciousness or new view of consciousness allows us to be more coherent in our interactions with others and with nature because it accepts the possibility that we are connected with through what is often called anomalous experiences like telepathy and precognition and other forms of what are called anomalous experiences where there appears to be non-local instant connectivity in, in just our, our in, in consciousness. So it, it, it's part of repainting the story about who we are as human beings and the nature of the world we live in. I look now at this point at at consciousness, not as the question of what is consciousness. I look at consciousness as the determining factor of how we see the world, of who we are, what the world is, and what we can do in the world. In other words, consciousness for me in this practical context is the mindset, is the totality of our presumptions, assumptions, intuitions, as well as information about the world and about each other and about the possibilities in this world and the dangers and the opportunities as well. Now, if you look at it in this way, then you have to look at why do we need to change our perspective. Just a very, very brief catalog. What have we got today in the world? We have got climate change. We have freak weather patterns. We have a pollution of the lands and the seas. We have increasing poverty. We have an out-of-hand religious fanaticism. We have massive migration. We have national governments who are, who are fearful and, and unable to act because they are overpowered by 
civil groups, by fanaticism, by, by uh, local competitive groups. Uh, we have interminable local wars with a whole series of, fragment, of, of failed states, the widening gap between rich and poor, you can go on and on and on. What we have got is an unsustainable world. And, and, and this world, if it would continue like that, it is bound to lead to increasing crisis. We all are seeing the increase in, in crisis. It's not by chance that we have extremist uh, political leaders coming to uh, power, that we have to, well, these political leaders are talking about war and violence, whether they are war to wage it on, on, on poverty, it's a war on poverty, it's a war on terror. It want to do war and want to do act of violence and almost everything that all the all the problems that we have, and we have a business community at the same time that is still dominated by the old paradigm, old paradigm leaders. And as Donna mentions, there's this that's what's holding up the progress. Uh, but there is, there are of course new paradigm leaders which you have to uh, to uh, to reinforce and to support. But the old paradigm is still. What is good for business is 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 for business. It's not the better, not the question of what is good for humanity or for or for the rest. So it's competition. Competition, as Porter has been saying all along, is is the main goal of everything, and that's that's the main spring of everything. But competition for what? Competition only for the benefit of business itself. I mean, I know these are the things that Chris is saying and and doing and 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 teaching and publishing. But I just want to re-emphasize, we need to change the mentality of business. And to me, a consciousness change means the change of the consciousness of business leaders and influential groups, whether they are within business or outside or lobbyists or pressure groups or whatever. We need to change that mentality. Otherwise, we are in real danger of exacerbating this crisis and leading to a point where they become either fully or practically or almost irreversible. That's a grave danger, and that is facing us right now. One of the obvious pressures that's on companies right now, and hence the question mark around whether the narcissistic leaders that are at the executive level of a number of significant companies, is they're, they're simply dying faster. Companies are dying faster. They're not adapting to this increasingly complex world. And so what that means is you've got leaders stepping in who, hopefully, uh, moving up, who, who have to have the understanding uh, and the capacity to witness the deep dynamics inside a company. And you cannot do that unless you have a much wider set of skills. Now, in your conversations in in uh, Italy, what, converse, what kinds of skill sets emerged as being tools or, or allies for any executive in this process of transformation? Some of the consequences for a business of the world that my father just described are that young people particularly feel disengaged in the workplace and they feel disengaged we know from from many many uh, different uh, sources and surveys they feel disengaged because when the purpose of business is just about serving business or business or, or the primacy of shareholder value then these particularly these younger generations are not willing to commit fully to their work they're not uh, as creative they're not as collaborative they're not as authentic in the workplace and we know that the cost uh, for, of this is huge 
And that's a real pressure for business. The Wall Street Journal estimated that it, it cost the U.S. economy 450 to $550 billion a year to have this kind of disengagement in the workplace. And again, we know that the, primarily the, the, the source of disengagement is a lack of attention to individual well-being, a lack of alignment of values to something that a greater purpose in business and a lot of, a lack of meaning uh, in the workplace. So a lot of the pressures on business today are frankly uh, market driven. They're not just ethical. They're also ethical. Clearly we want business people to be behaving in ways that are supporting a better outcome for future generations and that are just seen as being the right thing to do. But it's also true that behavior that ignores the, the welfare and, and well-being of employees, of environmental groups, of local communities, of suppliers, of customers, and so on, are leading to increased risks, increased costs, loss of market share, because consumers want to buy products today that are seen as being sourced responsibly, produced responsibly, used responsibly, and disposed of responsibly. And then there are a growing number of market opportunities like um, you know, going into renewable energy or water desalination. And in, in uh, just so many different areas of business today are devoted to coming up with solutions to local and global problems. And then there's a lot of brand value as well in being seen as doing the right thing. So I think for all these reasons, you know, we're really starting to see businesses. There is a, a shift. There's a move of the needle here towards business as a force for good instead of just profits at the, uh, in a way that somehow limits, limits the worst damage. I'm going to pick up on that because one of the things that I know I've written about and I think a number of us have been writing about is that the idea of reaching your quarterly targets is just completely uninspiring, hence the high levels of disengagement because that doesn't do anything for anybody. But if you do a 10x kind of Google level moonshot goal, like address some of the problems, Irvin, that you described earlier, pick any one of them. <laughs> it doesn't matter which one, but pick it up. It's got to be big. It's got to be bigger than anything the company could ever aspire to achieve. Put that forward and, and say, that's what we're here. That's why we exist. Watch what happens. I think those are the places where, so one of the, you know, part of the toolkit then is think big, just, just think massively large and, and, and think in terms of accomplishing something that you couldn't in your wildest imagination believe is possible, like tackling some of the effects of climate change or poverty, whatever it happens to be, whatever level it is. There is a question of having recipes, of having sort of instructions to do this or to that. Those can be very useful and important, but they're basically short-term patch-ups of issues. In the long term, we either develop a more human collective, community-oriented mentality, or we face, or, you know, like the old saying, it's either hang together or we hang separately, you know. So it's time to begin to hang, hang together. What I'm suggesting to you is what is coming about is really a recognition that fundamentally we are not just individuals acting, being here for our own personal short-term benefit. 
we are something else and something members of a wider community. And this has always been present in the spiritual communities and, 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 and systems. Nice topic for conversation on weekends and so on. But it has not really penetrated the world of business un until now. Maybe it's beginning to penetrate. But what we need is this total rethinking of our entire situation, of our entire presence, our identity. And that is not just rethinking. I would say it's also refeeling. Have this aha experience. Yes, I am something else, different than what I was what I thought I was, and the world is different from what I thought it was, because if we don't do this rethinking, we are going to have this in, in, increasing problem that nobody, as Donna says, can solve alone. No company can solve, no government can solve alone. So we either, you know, hang together or we hang separately, as I said, we must develop a new concept, a new sense, a new gut feeling of the world. And that, it seems to be idealistic, seems to be, okay, that's very nice to talk about it, but Monday morning, we have to get down to the bottom line. Bottom line. But the question is, what is the bottom line? Is it just to make money for the shareholders? Is it something else? And this is why Chris is talking about business as an agent of, of global benefit. Uh, we have to have a different mentality, because if that mentality doesn't change, I don't see government changing it. I don't see uh, any other group being powerful enough to change it. Business leaders, if they develop this mentality which is spreading in the world, which but mostly among younger people, if they can keep that, uh, develop that mentality on, on the leading edge of business, then I think change would come about. Idealistic, perhaps, too optimistic, perhaps, but I don't see an alternative. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, I was born with the capacity to see systems that that's how I came in. And so it's taken a long time to understand what the world looks like when you just look at a single point like shareholder value, as opposed to understanding the interaction and the dynamics that make all things possible, which is so really what we're talking about then in this new worldview is moving from looking at things as isolated from everything else and seeing them as part of a interactive self-creation, you know, self-organizing system. That's not a small jump in in worldview. Any observations come out of the conversations in Italy that would help executives see things differently, see themselves in this world differently? Well, let me make a comment on what my father was speaking about. I, I think that there's a growing recognition that Changing consciousness is the highest point of leverage for transforming leadership in business. And this is something, just to be, to be as factual as possible, this is something my father has been saying since at least the early 1990s when he founded the Club of Budapest, and he called it you know, planetary, uh, planetary consciousness, then more led by scientists and artists at the time, But it's also something that was reinforced in a 1997 piece by Donella Meadows called Places to Intervene in a System. And if you look at these 12 ways to intervene in a system uh, in uh, increasing effectiveness, you know, she talks about the things that you can do in complex systems to, to cause transformative change. 
and some of them are, you know, changing incentive systems, changing operating systems, uh, changing, you know, the way teams work and so on. But as you get to the top, the, the highest leveraged, the highest leverage points of change, um, the second one from the top is change mindset. And there's been a lot of discussion for years in business about changing mindset. But the number one place to intervene in a system, in a complex system, in, in her in her uh, 1997 view, is a change in paradigm. In, in, in other words, how we see the nature of, of reality or the nature of the world. And I think that's where the, this, this latest work or body of work my father has pulled together is, uh, has the potential to make the kind of difference in business that we all want to see. You know, the rest of the, rest of the efforts in business to try to make a better business case for for going, you know, reducing fossil fuels and reducing greenhouse gas emissions are good and important, but they're not big enough to impact the challenges that we face. And it's only by having this fundamental uh, change in, uh, or a paradigm change in how we experience the world and our role in the world and who we are in the world that we can expect leaders to start behaving differently, not because they've been analytically convinced that it's smarter to take care of you know, their fellow citizens or c- communities and the environment, but because that becomes who they are. That's how they experience the world. That's how they choose to act because it's a, um, it, it becomes just the, the, the natural way to act once you are in this new integral map of reality. And that, I don't know if you want to say a bit more about the, that integral map of reality or... or um, kind. Well, without getting into, into technical details, just one, one basic idea. We, ha- we are a complex system. We are individually a complex system because Donna was talking about systems, so let me pick up on that. And we are collectively a complex system. Many complex systems pulled together into a super complex system. Okay? And what we know about these systems is that they are going contrary to the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, which is to, to run down toward higher and higher levels of inertness, of, 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 of entropy. These complex systems maintain, maintain themselves by constantly taking down free energy, processing it, and using it themselves. Now, why I'm saying that? Because if you recognize that our world is a system of this kind, which requires that all its elements work together in order to maintain that system in the dynamic state, which is, doesn't go down to the, to the, to the most inert state, was the most equilibrium state, where, 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 toward which all, this, all physical processes are, 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 are moving, are attracting. And in, in that kind of a, a system requires that all elements of the system are coherent. Coherence in this sense, Chris was talking about it, means that all parts, all elements are in communication with every other. They exchange information and they respond and react to each other. And together, out of this reaction comes an overall system that maintains itself. Now, look at the current situation in the world. There are 144 governments or more. Tens of thousands of major businesses, as you you wish to count them, I don't know. 
but uh, how many civil groups and languages and, and uh, other splinter groups. These are all operating on their own. Now, if they operate only with the idea of competing for their own benefit, then what they are doing is they're acting as cancer cells in the overall organism, which are only multiplying themselves without regard to what happens to the rest. So it simply is not possible to maintain an interacting, interdependent system such as we have created on this planet without all major components of that system cooperating, working together. Then those kind of things like all in all competition only for benefit of your shareholders, for only moving on to your own national interest. This, this, this is mistaken decisions like the Brexit, for example, you know, pulling out instead of trying to reform the system. I agree that it doesn't work so perfectly as we would like to have the, the EU, but not pulling it out, pulling out from it, but trying to work inside it to make it work better. We can't operate separately. We, we can't do it. And so this is a very clear-cut case. Ask yourself, what is your business or any business? You know? Is it simply there for its own benefit or is it, be- is it there for the joint, for the collective benefit? If there's any doubt about it, we have to reform that system because it becomes, it is in danger. It risks becoming a cancer. That makes sense. I think that will make sense to anybody who looks at it. We need a system where every part collaborates with every other, not becoming uniform. That's, I just should add, add that. Not the question of being the same, but being complementary, working together. You don't expect your cells in your brain to operate as the cells in your bone, as my servers are organs. We all have to have our individuality. But our, our ultimate goals, our ultimate effect of our existence has to be the maintenance of the system of which we are a part. This is what happens in nature. Every species on Earth exists in a way that, that permits other species around it to survive. Of course, we all eat each other to some extent in nature as well. But beyond that, there is a larger framework within which an ecosystem, a population system, a multi-population system maintains itself and its environment. And if that is destroyed, then all the systems go down in that environment. So ask yourself, is business such a co- collaborative, productive part, or is it becoming something which is so self-concerned that it's in danger of taking apart, pulling down the overall coherence of the system. That is the crux of the question. And a brilliant metaphor, because it gives anyone listening to this program a way to stand back and evaluate their own company and their their own role in their company as well. Chris, anything you want to add to that? Some of your listeners may wonder, well, what's new and different about this approach in business or in management thinking and practice as far as the role of business in society. And I think there are a couple of things that are really worth highlighting. Uh, The first is that most efforts in this area around corporate social responsibility and corporate sustainability have been, uh, have studied the changes in the relationship between organizations and their competitive environments. You know, so like the shared value work of of, uh, Michael Porter and so that's, you know, to use some of the language that my father has worked with a lot in evolutionary biology, that's between the meso and the macro world. There's very little that has been done in the management literature to incorporate the micro world of the individual. 
And I think that's part of what we're doing is we're saying it's, you really have to look at uh, transformation at all three levels. The micro foundations of flourishing enterprise as well as the relationship between the enterprise and its greater environment. So the micro, meso, and macro view, that's new. So, you know, it's, it's not just a strategist view of how value gets created when companies pay attention to society and the environment. It's also looking at the micro foundations of leadership, of leaders and who leaders are being. The second uh, is that there's not been much discussion uh, of the kind my father has put forward, suggesting really that it, it's fundamentally about uh, a, a new ontological paradigm. Uh, so the, the shift from shareholder value to a stakeholder value view is just a, it's an incremental change. It's just within the old paradigm. You're just moving from efficiency to effectiveness and perhaps from um, maximizing value for shareholders to creating value for shareholders and stakeholders. Um, but fundamentally, it's still in that old paradigm that business is there to make money for business or, and for the owners of business. So if we're going to transform the role of business in society so that it becomes an agent for good, it becomes an agent for world benefit, we have to cross this ontological divide. And on the other side of the ontological divide is the new scientific paradigm that my father has developed and, and written. And Dad, perhaps you want to say something about this latest book that's just coming out. Well, <laughs> that is a book of 358 pages, so I can't say too much about it in a couple of words. Just to say that the title is, tells it all. The title is a question, what is reality? And then, of course, the, the insight is the, an argument that reality is just as Chris has been discussing it now. Reality is an evolving uh, set of clusters of what I call vibrations, because that is ultimately we are not made of matter, we are made of vibrating energy. These vibrating energies acting together and creating a, a world that evolves and that becomes more and more one, and that ultimately in that world, consciousness is a real factor not just something produced by the brain and doesn't, it isn't even just something that, that completely disappears when the brain is turned off, you know, from NDEs and OBEs and after-death experiences and all this sort of thing, then there is a way in which consciousness can persist even without a functioning brain. But that's the sidelight, but it's a very important one, of course. The main point being that we have to do with a world in which the joining together and collaboratively creating larger holes is the major element since the Big Bang, since neutrons and, and electrons have created, uh, accepted, uh, 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 neutrons and protons accepted an electron and created the atomic, the hydrogen nucleus. Since then, the world has been building up by bringing more and more diverse elements into collaborative, cooperative relationships, into coherence. And that we are part of that, and our consciousness is part of that. But we have to realize it and not just let it happen. We have to act like we really are part of this evolving world. Couldn't agree with you more. I know for myself, your writing, Irvin, in the 90s saved my day multiple levels and multiple times because I would be going into organizations and ultimately came to be calling it organizational blueprints. You go into a company, you go into situations or teams or whatever, and it's almost like you could be working with them, but you'd see a shadow of what was putting, putting pressure on these teams 
is sitting in the background and nothing tangible, obviously, but, but a sensation that there, you know, of, of what the belief system was that sat behind these teams. And I eventually called it organizational blueprints because I would go into an organization and if people were hard on each other, and I mean really hard on each other, meaning high levels of conflict and, and it was just bad news, then you would look back in the organization and find it was actually worse at some point or or had continued. It was part of what I, I called, uh, as I say, these blueprints. And so I, I interviewed Roland McCready, research scientist for HeartMath Institute in about six years ago, maybe more on, on that, because it was a phenomenal I'd witnessed. It was something I didn't understand. And, and of course, you don't have the research to back you up, but you know what you're seeing. And if you know that, it's so much easier to work with it because all of a sudden now you know what you're doing is really working with energy and how you work with it must be done very intentionally, very consciously. Otherwise, you can do more harm than good. So I really appreciate the conversations that both we're having today, but also the ones that will follow and and also follow with the book you're about to publish. And then, Chris, are you doing another book as well? Yes, I am. It's um, Quantum Leadership. Uh, The subtitle is New Consciousness in Business. And um, it's contracted. We have an advanced contract with Stanford University Press for it. Uh, It should be released in early 2019. And Irvin, when's your book out? October 4 of this year by Seller Books New York and, and through the Amazon and various other platforms. An honor to have you both on the program, especially at the same time. Thank you both very much. Is there anything you want to add? I just have a very good feeling about having this kind of program, this kind of discussions, because it means that there is an awakening within the, within the community that is advising business people, which we need so very badly. So it's wonderful to have met Donna. I have met Christopher for some time already. <laughs> it's, it's nice to be in, in this company. So thanks again for, for this initiative. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Donna. This is, these are valuable programs and worth committing uh, and investing time in. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Irvin, very much. Look forward to seeing what happens when your books come out and to, to chatting with you again at that point. For more information, do they go to the Club of Budapest, Irvin, or do you want people to, is there a particular place that people should, should look to? Well, it, it, they can just uh, Google or, or get on the Laszlo Institute, Laszlo Institute for New Paradigm Research. On the Laszlo Institute, there's a website. I might add just on that, that if you actually Google Irvin's name on Amazon, you'll see the range of of work that's been involved. And in my work in organizations, when I go in, what I learned from your writing, Irvin, and I'd like to share this because it meant so much to me, is I would see dynamics in the groups I was working with or in the organizations I was working with or the leadership or whatever it happened to be. But then I learned to continually expand the system because you write, you've written about the cosmos and, and it was an area of interest I'd long had. It was, I was intuitively drawn to it. So, so my questions would, when I'd be working in an organization is what's going on that no one's looking at that's having an effect on, the, on these people and on this system. And that question alone brought insight that I would not have gained if I had just made assumptions around what the people were about their behavior or about their belief system. So, so I wanted want to mention that because it, it improved mastery of my own um, craft 
in in helping uh, and supporting the transformation of thinking and of of how people work together in in companies and organizations. And Chris, we know you were written, writing a lot a lot sooner than that. I mean, you were writing about shared value long before Michael Porter knew how to say it. So, tell our listeners where to go for more information on that. Um, I think they can go to the Fowler Center for Business Association to World Benefit at Case Western Reserve University. Uh, that has a lot of uh, resources, including resources on emotional intelligence from a faculty member, Richard Boyatzis, on positive psychology and appreciative inquiry from David Cooper Ryder and Ron Fry, and, um, and other colleagues of mine there. All right. Thanks both very much. It was a pleasure. You are one of the signs of hope in these difficult times. <laughs> well, I tell you, you've given me hope because uh, there were years way back in the beginning when, when I would go in that I thought, oh, my gosh. And uh, Chris knows that I dropped everything in 2003 just to focus on ramping up the level of leadership to match the, the – You could it's almost, almost like you could see the planetary – change going on it was like a screensaver and, and and no one was looking at the screensaver and I was just like oh my you know so that's what prompted me to do this and it, there's been a huge commitment involved in doing it as both of you can appreciate you you know things don't always go according to plan when you take on big projects like shifting consciousness in business but we are starting to see the turn thankfully and um, we're starting to see more and more interest and we're starting to get better. I, I think our conversations across the board are getting better at identifying and activating who's ready. I get calls from millennials saying, basically saying, uh, what's going on? Are they afraid? Do they not see? What do I do? So they're asking these questions and at the same time they're stepping back into the system and so you you know there's just a short window of time to catch them before they get uh, sucked into the uh, the vortex of conformity that's mind numbing. Yes. <laughs> there you go. It's the same least. <laughs> what was the follow up to this one? Oh, you mean the tri center meeting? Yeah. Mhm. We have one planned for Cleveland next June. And by the way, Donna, if you want to already pencil that in, June 14th to 16th, uh, 2017, um, will be the uh, fourth global forum for businesses and agent to world benefit on the Case Western Reserve University campus. And it will have one of the four tracks will essentially be this track that, that uh, we have spent uh, discussing on this uh, podcast. Yeah, no, that would be great. I mean, my own research has taken me through all four threads that you talked about in Luca, because I reached a point where I thought, well, people aren't going to be able to create unless they're healthy. So what's it going to take to make them healthy? And that was both looking at them individually and then using, you know, applying epigenetics. And, and that's where the organizational blueprint conversation started as well, was just looking at what's the container that, that creates health for people and then how mindfulness impacts their capacity to make better decisions so, you know, all of those threads were all tracks that I've, I've gone down. And, um, and so that's why the conversation looks so exciting. It looked like a lot of fun. So it'd be fun to do that in 2017. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. My hope is that the main thing you'll take away from this conversation is that your personal growth and evolution is absolutely pivotal to anything that can change on a global scale, particularly in terms of sustaining life for all, all species, humanity included. This is a time more than ever 
where it, it is a chance to use adversity, to use conflict, to use the, the collisions that diversity creates to really reach out and, and hold compassion, hold empathy, make that extra step. You can re- certainly reach out to me on my website from insighttoaction.com or through LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. And I do, of course, uh, work with people who are in environments that are new and fresh and who really looking to expand their consciousness skills so that they can navigate better. Please share, review, do whatever it takes to get this information out to people that you know will benefit from it. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much.